Shadows, a collaborative project between Alexandra Grant and Keanu Reeves, as read by Thick Pullums and the Burpees. Without you, nothing. No matter how you fight it, you lose. Me and my shadow, and it still doesn't help. Often when you look, it's not there. We all need something, even if we don't. What my shadow doesn't know won't hurt it. I am a mere me. Beyond a shadow of our doubt. You better look. I may not be there tomorrow. And you couldn't hold me in that way, all things hoped. No one wants to be alone. I first saw it in my youth, the beginning of the end. Put me down, stand me up, throw me just like you want. Up against it. Look out. Weep, Shadow. Weep. The ancients have the same problem. Playing shadow games. I cannot say all I wish to say. What do you think? When? As long as we last, remember. A shadow of shadows, holding on. And I knew I was done, and you were gone forever. A shadow of shadows, letting go. Did you know all along? In the light of day, darkness. Good luck. Shadows want to be seen, not heard, they say. It doesn't matter. We never did stand a chance. I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Yearning. Always yearning. I will be buried. It shows us how amazingly impossible it is. What happens when you can't? It is not as simple as black and white, is it? R is for remorse. Make it an R on a shadow wall. Ridiculous. Everything as much as I can. Turn the light out. You are not here. Not even... My shadow is innocent. I am guilty. We are flesh and blood. Till death do us part. Last breath inside out. Take me. I'm yours. What is past is present. We can only do it alone. It is a dance, light or dark. It all goes by so fast. All I have left. Try to know love. It is your only hope. I love the word September. Could you just let me out? It is my last chance. And that sick was, was us reading a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, what right. we consider one, which is the agonizing process of me ever having to read words on a page. Yeah, I, a book written by Keanu Reeves. Uh, Jake, when was that book written? That book was written in, I believe, 2016. And published. And published, yeah. And how much uh, is a copy of that going for these days? Let's see. Let me pull it up on Amazon. I, I wanted to just buy this because I was like, oh, this will be fun. Because Keanu Reeves opened a bookstore, didn't he? In LA or somewhere? He started a, like a publishing label. 
Oh, a publishing label. Yeah. So it seems on Amazon, you can only get it for hardcover for almost just under $400. Und, under $400. Jesus Christ. Three ninety nine ninety five. So, oh, so yeah. listeners, <laughs> we, we would love, we don't own a copy currently, but we would love one. Uh, we're not going to say buy us a copy, but if someone ended up with a copy and wanted to get rid of it, yeah, you could I'm not saying get us a copy, but if you know, through a couple of transactions, <laughs> if you find yeah, yourself owning a copy, a certain any, item finds its way into a P.O. box, and maybe it's P.O. box uh, 380333 Brooklyn, New York 11238. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be the yeah. place to send a copy of this book, Shadows. <laughs> <laughs> the book, Shadows, please. And, and I. The, the co author is the photographer, right, Jake? Alexandra Grant. Yes, and uh, we just wanted to fill you all in on and this you know, weird just, thing that Keanu Reeves did. Just you forget that another, he's a writer. Another creative endeavor by this this true Renaissance man, not a not the poseur that it would be a, a James Franco say. <laughs> <laughs> James poser. Franco could never. He, he did write a book and maybe a, two books, but a, a lot of books. He's he, written a lot of books. Oh, hey, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. More than any of us. Yeah. He he truly is like just dabbling in every and all things. Yeah. yeah. But, but Keanu's better, and he this is better. and and this is this is a good opportunity to say welcome to Can't Get Enough of Keanu, the Internet's premier Keanu Reeves podcast, in which we explore the filmography of that great, ageless, enigmatic Canadian actor, movie by movie. I'm Patrick Willems. I'm Jake Torpy. I'm Matthew Torpy. I'm Matthew Torpy. <laughs> I'm Matthew Torpy. <laughs> I'm Matthew. Oh, oh R.I.P. to uh, Harold Bloom. Died yesterday. Harold Bloom, the literary critic? Yeah. Why did I think he was dead like a while ago? Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm sad, but I did think he was dead already. Yeah. I think you maybe told me that, and that's why I thought that. Because you were Robert Forster. Yes. He died like four days ago as of recording this. I don't know if there's many people who died. Well, those are the two. Those are two big, big titans, and they've fallen. Did Keanu ever do a film with Robert Forster? Neither of those men will ever cast a shadow on this earth again. Nice one, Jake. Yeah. Nice one. That's beautiful. And that recontextualizes the idea of a shadow makes it nice. Yeah. Like it means you're living and walking around and Yeah, you don't get a shadow without a corporeal body. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's good. Yeah. I think you were reading Harold Bloom, so then you told me, like, oh, he's been dead for a while. That's <laughs> just then why I now have that fact in my head. Uh, listen. <laughs> How old was Robert I'm Forster? Sorry. He was 78. 78? How old was Harold Bloom? I think he was 89. Okay. 78's a little young. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm going through. I feel like it's normal. I'm going through Forster's filmography to see if he yeah. did a Keanu movie because he did so many movies. So many movies did Forster um, just did he have health problems I like, think he had cancer no um, <laughs> well <laughs> man well well <laughs> ah, my mouth is dry <laughs> I mean like Bloom you know he lived to that age where it, you really just you old <laughs> you know what I mean boy you old yeah yeah um Forster I don't know, like we, you know, I was seeing seventy eight is old, and I Camino, think it's, it's like the male good. average, right? What is the average no, I think male like, lifespan like at this point? Now, now you're like eighty two. Women get like eighty eighty five. Yeah, like women have always been a little bit higher. They get like two or three years extra. I actually wanted to say I don't think have men broken over the age of eighty as far as the national average. Damn. I thought they were still seventy eight. Robert Forster and Keanu never worked together. Nah. No, we're not going to see them. No, because the thing is that like we've just like 
we've removed all of like yeah you wonder why i think it's just because of like death statistics being more in the in in line with like risky behavior and kind right. of like more hard hard living that does more like long accrued damage which and that's is why a, a good sign for me <laughs> because you know who's not doing a lot of hard living <laughs> me baby yeah me. yeah but You're not also subjecting just, yourself to the there's just genetic wild cards where you could just you know yeah i mean also the, cancer look the, uh, i'm 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 sure something will happen to me. I, I'm oh. not like planning on like dying young, but at the same time, like if I'm still around when I'm 80, I will be, I don't know, surprised. Yeah. You think so? Yeah. I you get think worried. you'll be on your, the day of your 80th birthday, you'll be like, wow. <laughs> Jeez, Just go Louis. full crash. Full wait, crash okay. wait uh, go full crash nitro card on. <laughs> let's on have life. the conversation all our listeners want to have. About want mortality? To, want to listen to. Um, have you guys thought much about how you, like, seriously think you'll die? Or maybe, like, what, either when or how? Um, n- not really. I, I, I worry that it's just going to be some sort of debilitating disease. I'll tell you what recently fucked me up, though. Like, more than it definitely should have. Yeah. Mm. Was that freak accident that happened, actually not too far from this apartment where we're recording, where that guy got crushed by his own elevator... Did you guys hear this story? No. He ste- the um he was coming out is like for his morning commute and the elevator stopped at the lobby. And I guess in this building they had had like elevator issues for years that building management had not taken care of. Uh-huh. And the elevator stopped at the lobby, a couple people got out and then it just started going down to the basement. It's not like it dropped or anything, mm-hmm. but he had that reaction that at first you're like, "Why would you do that? That's so stupid." But then you start to think like you don't know what you're you know you have like those knee jerk reactions to just things happening and you go I want to get out of the elevator and he tried to climb out and he got like literally crushed in half like in between the elevator going down to the basement and the lobby floor that's horrible it was horrible and and everybody was like oh yeah you know is he dead? Yeah, he died. He died immediately. <laughs> but it, he just chopped it half. I just like yeah, I don't know. It really like just rattled me. I was like, cause a cause it just seems like such a terrible, gross way to go. Yeah. And then but then also just the whole freak nature of it is very, very so that's sobering because you're just like belief on how you're you going know, to go. You know, those crane that building collapsed in New Orleans like a couple days ago. Somebody got hit in the head, like a bunch of people got hit in the head with cranes and stuff. <laughs> I'm not joking. I mean, like these stuff are like literally freak accidents, but right. that stuff really kind of rattles me. So more you don't want to go Final Destination style. You want... I just don't want to get hit in the head with an I-beam that's falling from like 30 stories up that I but don't do even see But do you just die immediately? Because that could be tight. Just, yeah. just You're just walking and then you're just fucking exploded by an I-beam and everyone is <laughs> showered in gore and you have no idea it's coming? <laughs> that is good to me. Well, and they get some of my vitality. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess if you have to go, maybe uh, have it be very sudden and very surprising so you have no time to think about like, oh no, I didn't get to do all of those things. There's like none of those thoughts. Uh, but I'd rather have that happen to me when I'm 80. Like, if an I-beam's gonna hit me in yeah. the head, I'd, I'll be 89, and then yeah. something can, like, bash my skull in for so s- out of the planning blue. on it. Right. <laughs> and it will be my own hand holding a hammer. Jake, <laughs> I, if I'm also still alive, do you want to just, like, pay me now to, like, kill you swiftly <laughs> and mercilessly when you're 80? Yeah, will you ninja roll? Can I, like, be sitting in a wheelchair with a blanket over me, looking out at a sunset, and then you just come up behind me, and you say... 
you knew I was coming and I go and I just give you like a little nod and no, then you slit no, my throat no, and that's, then my blood that's, sprays against the glass. That's too much. You shouldn't know you shouldn't know the exact moment. You shouldn't you, know you, I'm you, there. You should just you, you, I should feel a slight breeze behind me. Your final know. thought should just be what a nice sunset. I'm comfy. Like Lenny and Mice and Men or something. Oh my god, like, yeah. I want you, I want to make my whole family. I want, they'll be like, I'll be like, I'll be like, I'll be like old and I'm, they're just like, you have something, you're going to die. And I want, I'll be like, all right, well, you could pull the life support off, but I'm going to make like either my brothers or one of my kids oh, just hold a pillow over my head <laughs> and like make them do it. I'd be like, no, you you take the responsibility. Or you get none of the money from the will. Whoa. Yeah. That, wait, 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 wait. That's a, that would be a pretty wild plot for a movie. Make your own children kill you? It's written yeah, in. And like, I have like this weird like functionary in a suit observing to make sure it occurs as You only as written. get my money if you kill me. Yeah. You won't get the rubies if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll you'll don't. press the pillow into You're your... stockpiling on rubies as yeah, we speak. I have so many gems and rubies in a big... <laughs> so, so Matt, have you, th- have you thought about how you think how you, think you will yeah. die? Uh, or well, when? I mean, do you want me to like answer for real? Or do you, like... No, I know. Well, I, you know what? I'm not even sure why I brought this up because I. It's not like I think about this myself. I, I was d- looking up. Um... I have no idea how, what, when, or how I might die, and I don't think about it because it depresses me. Right. Yeah. Because I, I, I hope it's not before I have like done all the stuff that I want to do. I would like to have a full life. Yes. Thank you I for was, spinning it back that way. I was. Um. Well. Yeah. yeah you know. Let's just say I was, I'm dark. <laughs> and I'm like, goth. Like the Joker? Like the Joker. And, that's and, the Joker and I was Earth. not in incognito mode and I was at work and I was looking up cartel murders. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, man, if you want to see some just images, All just good. come up from your Google search <laughs> that are absolutely horrific. I think Matt needs yeah. a new job. Yeah, uh, you, you, like you actually do need a boss that like is poking his head over your cubicles. What are you doing? Just like, see, I'm just like literally like a nude man that's been completely like dismembered, and I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> you're just you're caught so red-handed, like you can't even begin to justify. Just like, there's no like backtrack. You like minimize the there's, window, there's and then, no backpedaling to that. I image. minimize the window, but then it's just one of those pop-up ads for like a sex anime game. Yeah, it's immediately it's like, porn in the window background. You won't last three minutes playing Dragon Maiden's Pussy Fire, and you're like, oh no. Even my my incognito window was bad, and my non-incognito window is worse. I regret bringing up this topic. Yeah, it's dark. I. Uh, and <laughs> I was thinking more Matt should have have a new job, not so that he'll have a boss who will like keep that behavior in check, but more like a job where he won't be motivated to Google cartel murders yeah. while at work. Yeah, I just needed that. I just needed to feel something for a second. <laughs> God. No matter what it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like uh River Phoenix's character. <laughs> well I own private I'm gonna auto. say I think maybe part of the reason that I stupidly brought up this depressing topic is that uh, I've been just sort of sad since I finished this movie because it's a very sad movie. Very sad movie. How Uh, soon after this was made did he die? Well, he died in 93, I believe, so a couple years after this. I think he had one or two more movies after My Own Private You can usually assume that that a movie was released the, the year after it was shot. I'm When I say that, I, I tend to mean... After it was released, right? But I, but yeah. So two, two years after that was actually 
crazily, this movie uh, was really... Oh, it was released on my birthday. Yay. Yay. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> when I had looked up Roger Ebert's review earlier, uh, I saw like, oh, wow, this is like almost to the day. Uh, what is it like? 28 years ago it was like october 18th oh wow. 91 but um but yeah the movie was released september 29th 91 so one of the, my yeah. fourth birthday oh and then i and i went to my parents took me to see it <laughs> uh, i was really excited <laughs> yeah i loved Pash. keanu from an early age <laughs> time for an art house movie patrick <laughs> uh i the, well one of the big difficulties of watching this um is that like i i mean i think this movie is fantastic uh yeah, uh, I is agree. Everyone, I, I everyone think it, pretty I think much it, on. I think it's a very good film. Does anyone have like a hot sort of anti this movie take? Nope. Um, uh, I think yeah, Pat. This is your first time seeing. Yeah, it. I'd never yeah. seen it before. Um, I, I I'm just gonna I, I'll let Matt keep talking yeah, yeah. Uh, momentarily, but I think this is Keanu's best performance so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a, a really good movie, and it really just hit me how deeply sad it is yep and yeah. uh matt keep going yeah well that's the thing this is there's going to be a somber tone for so many reasons when talking about this film because it's like a fair it's you know it's a pretty like dark movie yeah it it's uh i mean it's weirdly based off of henry the fourth we'll get into it's, that yeah okay. it's it's but, literally like cut to pieces the things that this movie's pulling from but anyway, and especially the the origins yeah. of the script itself yeah it's crazy but we'll get into that but anyway my only the, the thing that i'm always wondering now you know it's it's like you know retrospectively of a you know a death or a suicide or whatever is like you try and see the signs and in the previous work and all this kind of stuff so like river phoenix is is you know, kind of is the shoulders that this movie rests on. And like, in my opinion, and like, yeah, I mean, it's all from his perspective. Right. Much. But he, so he gives this like weird, like he perfectly captures like this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't really, which is so many different things, but like his physicality in the movie, his look, like his line delivery, he yeah. just, he's so, but, and, and it just makes me wonder cause he seems strung out and like, it just makes me wonder if he was, or like you know, if he was starting to get into the throes of, like, what would eventually kill him, which was also an incredibly prominent thing in Portland and the Pacific Northwest in general in the '90s, which was heroin and like opiates and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I remember when it was like a more of a depressed region, you know, because Portland now is kind of not to, like everything's going this way, but like I went to Portland, Oregon, maybe like. Th- three years ago, four years ago. And yeah. like, you know, I saw some of the spots that are in the movie. And well, like, well, the, the thing is I've done, um, I'm not like an expert on river Phoenix's life, but, uh, I did recently read that, uh, that vanity fair profile on Joaquin. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. did anyone else read that? No, no. What was in that one? It did. I mean, it, uh, it was just like, you know, cause he has Joker coming out, just like <laughs> a, a big profile about him um, as like they, they do about actors and stuff like that. You yeah. know, there was like the Esquire one on, or maybe GQ one on Keanu, yep. like read that back one. in like May. But, uh, but this one on Joaquin's good. And, um, and it does, uh, actually spend a decent amount of time like talking about river. 
Uh, and like their their weird childhood where their family they were like sort of part of a cult for a little bit. They like changed yeah. their names. They traveled mm-hmm. around. The family like went all like became all like vegan from a very uh, very young age. Very young age. The 90s, yeah. Very unconventional 80s life. And 90s. But that was a River Phoenix, you know, extracurricular kind of thing was the whole like PETA thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and then also now Joaquin is like very he's got a big poster up in Times Square about going vegan and like that kind oh, of thing. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, all jokes aside. Right. <laughs> all kidding <laughs> salad. Um and, and also like like yeah. Joaquin was like the one who who made the nine one one call when River died, right? Because they were, I think they were like a couple of the siblings were all together. They the were at the happened. Viper Club. They were at the Viper but Club. The, the thing is, and they talk about it in this article. River was not a drug addict. No, he no he and and I, I'm looking at his Wikipedia article here. They have like Gus Van Sant is is like quoted talking about this, and he wasn't like a regular drug user. Oh, someone basically just hap- it The reason he OD'd is that someone like handed him like this drink with like this like lethal like cocktail of stuff, and that's what did it. It's yeah. not like he was like. A heroin addict. Was he and even was known like, to be like a partier though, or something like, like that? Um, a little bit. Joaquin maybe? talks about her in this profile, yeah. and, and he says like, like not really. Like he he was not like at that club all the time. This wasn't right. like, it, it was like an occasional thing. Because mm-hmm. that's Depp's club, right? Yeah, that was and one he owned at the time. And and uh, Joaquin or uh, River was in a band, I think. Right. That yes. was like his other thing. Yeah. Like, so was Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp is like famously been in Hollywood vampires <laughs> was that rivers or walking no or? no that, that's Johnny Depp's, Johnny Depp's okay um god damn yeah that's such was, a scary name I know <laughs> yeah. so spooky but yeah he, he did like music stuff on the side and everything but uh but yeah really like the the idea of like River Phoenix as this you know like really tortured drug addicted uh like brilliant talent isn't like doesn't seem to be completely accurate mm-hmm. because I mean the brilliant talent part is, but he seemed like relatively together. He did not have this debilitating like addiction. There was that, no spiral into some sort no, of no. Like, it, it 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 really did just seem to be yeah. horrible luck. Yeah, that's mm. terrible. Oh god, I'm thinking about the elevator again. Okay, <laughs> stop <laughs> it, Jake. Stop yeah, it. All right. I'm so sorry I brought that. <laughs> up. I know. All right. Yeah, we gotta like get it. We gotta like, work ourselves back well, out then, of this. Then sad, maybe it's just you know, section. it's just like the uh, the kind of like the fact that they're kind of like homeschooled, sort of like just they, they were just kind of like weird hippie kids. Yeah, we're yeah. crunchy hippie kids, and like they ha- maybe it's just the you know atypical socialization they got into things just in general that made them kind of so interesting and like compelling to watch Hmm. but i will say that like river phoenix in my own private idaho reads as a drug addict very well he does he's got that kind of just look that kind of like bleary i don't know how to describe it he's always kind of like seems uncomfortable in his body everyone's always a little bit sick they're all sniffling constantly yeah he's thin he's kind of like thin and willowy in a way that makes him seem very fragile yeah, it's, you know, he's always yeah. bundled up in these big thick coats that just, you know, he's pale and he's he, always kind of hunched over. His shoulders are held up a little he bit. He always seems uncomfortable. His hair is really poofed out to make his head seem even smaller. Yeah, <laughs> like. But you also think about you know where the movie is set. Yeah, it's in it's mostly in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, rainy country. And uh, yeah, and it's not like it's the summer there. No. So it seems <laughs> chilly anyway. And then he, 
You know, he never has, he doesn't have like a constant home. No, he's uh, homeless, essentially. Yeah. yeah, but he'll be like sleeping in like abandoned buildings and stuff like that. And so it just, his, everything about his existence looks uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 He's just sort of, I mean, we also, I mean, we will talk about this too. This is the big character quality that he has as, as a narcoleptic. I mean, just the way that when he gets into his narcoleptic fits throughout the movie mm-hmm. and he'll start trembling. It's even like he's still shivering while he's asleep. Like those small tremors that he does when he falls over. Uh, even if it's in like different rooms I or feel it's outside so bad the for this guy. Okay. Uh, can I just read the, the first paragraph of yeah. the Wikipedia plot summary just uh, for our listeners who haven't seen the movie. Uh, by the way, if you are listening now and haven't seen the film, um, it's not streaming for free anywhere, but you can rent it everywhere yeah. online. And also very importantly, this is, unless I'm mistaken, Keanu's only film in the Criterion Collection. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I believe, added in 2015. And um, I read uh, on the Criterion website, uh, they have uh, the, the essay by Amy Tobin. Uh, that is like, you know, there's always like the essay uh, that they pair with each yeah. film. And um, ooh, I read that essay. It was good. Yeah. And right now they have 50% off <laughs> Criterion discs. And so if anyone wants to buy this movie, if you, you haven't can. seen it, see it. It's worth it. It's definitely yeah. worth it. Yeah. Um, but so the beginning of this uh, plot summary, Mike, played by River Phoenix, a street hustler, which is another way of saying a male prostitute, mm-hmm. uh, stands alone on a deserted stretch of highway. He starts talking to himself and notices that the road looks, quote, like someone's face, like a fucked up face. Mm-hmm. He then experiences a narcoleptic episode and dreams of his mother comforting him as he replays home movies of his childhood in his mind. Later, after being filleted by a client in Seattle, <laughs> Mike returns to his favorite spots to pick up more clients. He is picked up by a wealthy older woman who takes him to her mansion, where he finds two, other, two fellow hustlers also hired by the woman. One of them is Scott Favor, Mike's best friend, played by Keanu Reeves. The other is Gary, who doesn't really matter. <laughs> the uh, other is Gary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, while preparing to have sex with the woman, Mike experiences another narcoleptic fit and awakens the next day with Scott in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. That's so, not totally true. It's not. They're missing out a whole scene where you get to meet Udo Kier for the first time. Yeah. Because he, he passes out and then wakes up. I mean, Scott Favor carries him outside of the woman's house and then leaves him on the lawn. Yeah. Scott Favor, also, you're going to slowly learn, Mike's love interest throughout the whole movie, not the nicest guy. Kind of uh, very distanced and disinterested in everything around him. But his storyline and then Bob are the only two things that make it Henry the Fourth. Right? Yes. Right. So yeah. we should. Okay. I don't think Mike River Phoenix's character has a analogous character in a Shakespeare play. He doesn't because yeah. originally uh, this movie script began as two totally different scripts and a short story and a short story. Yeah. <laughs> this is this. I mean, I I I love. I mean, we, we'll talk about it right now. But I I just want to say before we get into all the different sources, I love the cut up nature of what this movie draws on because I think ultimately it like like does it does service to what the kind of story the movie's trying to tell in the it's first place. It's one of place. those weird instances where that hasn't completely just hobbled and botched exactly. the like yeah. initial intent. Yeah. 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 I, I, originally, so there was one script Gus Van Sant had that was just about a young street hustler. Right. Yep. And there was a totally different script 
that was a modern retelling of Henry the Fourth, mm-hmm. parts one and two. Uh, and then he decided to combine them along with elements of like a short story that he had written. All and, of them he had written himself. Yeah. yeah. This is like, uh, this is a pretty wild process. And yeah. so, so, uh, you have all the river Phoenix stuff and then it's few. And then Keanu's whole storyline, uh, everything about that character is like, he is basically, you know, he's, he's Prince Hal. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Bob, this like older kind of like, you know, guy on the streets who sort of like rallies all, all these various like young guys as as you know to like to help him out. He's yeah. kind of like a leader to them. He He's was like, like an indie film version of the Oliver Twist guy, not Fagin, but Falstaff. That's what we're trying to say, yeah. right? And uh, <laughs> he kind of like Fagin, but just straight up Falstaff. He's Falstaff. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, I mean, they literally drink Falstaff beer, and, and I think at one point the Bob character is like, "Do you hear that? The chimes of midnight and all that stuff." So well, they yeah. they, st- they say. Shakespearean Altered dialogue. Altered Shakespearean dialogue, yeah. Yeah. Has right. anyone seen that uh, Orson Welles? Chimes I have, but movie? it's been a long time. I really don't remember too I much about not, it. I have not, but there's there's a good video essay about this movie uh, by Kyle Colgren. I think it was, it's it's on Vimeo right now. Uh, but and, and he's like a Shakespeare scholar. And so, and he actually uh, does like a split screen between like the... Uh, the um, Orson Welles, uh, Henry the Fourth, and scenes from My Own Private Idaho, mm-hmm. and e- you can even see the way that like Gus Van Sant recreated like the some blocking and framing of certain scenes. Interesting. And so, and you can uh, he points out that like the, the various uh, you know like lines that are that that are slightly altered and stuff like that, and like so many of the similarities, even though that is like that makes up like less than half of this movie. Yeah, exactly. I like that. Um, I, 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 I was kind of mixed. Like part of me likes the, the like high Shakespearean kind of theatricality of when Bob comes around and you inject, you know, that, that kind of like, uh, uh, some, you, well, how would you even describe it? Like, it's almost like a, a tired or a cliched kind of snooty, you know, thing to just impose onto a movie that would otherwise be this like very grounded, empathetic but realistic portrayal of this like kid having just a horrible life and trying to find, you know, little snippets of beauty in it or whatever. Right. But I think it really works. Uh, and I really like the idea of almost of telling it from not the perspective of, you know, uh, the Henry analog character that is Keanu Reeves, but uh, not even Falstaff analog in Bob but like just one of the weird if we're still using the play as an as an example just one of the weird like drunk you know impoverished completely immiserated peasants that lives in the bar as well yeah and so, like how you know they don't have a choice and I just like I really like um, Keanu plays it well this kid who's like kind of sympathetic towards all of this but he's also just a He's kind of just LARPing. As he always like, has one foot out right. the door. Or he knows he has the ability to fall back on yeah, he knows, he has, complete He knows comfort. he's got the fucking golden parachute to yeah. get out there, and he's always intended on doing it. But he's also, you learn slowly, kind of like half-promising and stringing along a lot of these really desperate people. Well, Keanu's character is interesting, too, because we, I don't... We should also explain what the deal is with that character. With Keanu's character? Yeah. Again, yeah. for listeners who have not seen the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and who also might not be super familiar with Henry IV. I read it in college, and I can't remember. I've never even anything. read it. I, I I knew, like, 
the 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 barest basics of it yeah. until I did a bit of research today. But basically, uh, Keanu, a fellow hustler, but he's the son of the mayor of Portland. Of Portland. Right. Yeah. Uh, and he <laughs> and he basically for the past three years has just like he like ran away from home and has just been like living with these like street youths yeah. as a for, just as just as a form of rebellion, really. Basically, and, yeah, and he, he's like, "Fuck you, Dad! I'm gonna have real experiences." And right, he just but, chills with Bob. But his trust fund kicks in when he turns 21. Right. So he's basically just, you know, doing the, this, uh, like, indulgent rebellion, uh, until he just gets handed this wealth, sudden amounts of vast right. money. Yeah, and yeah. Like, yeah, he's like, you know, every faux starving you know sort of like Williamsburg trust fund person who's just like oh I eat like shit and blah 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 yeah. but then it's like the, that money comes in for rent from your from your family like all the time and <laughs> yeah like, he's the person that that the pulp song common people is about <laughs> yeah and it's I think like the um it's sort of like insinuated that he's probably been doing the like tricking on the street and like living out in in just like sort of semi homeless in the city for maybe a year or two cuz like when they meet at that older they do say that it, uh, it's, that been, it's about been 3 years close to 4 years yeah, yeah cuz like he has to have established this weird kind of like older man young boy suit like kind of sexual sexual like romantic weird relationship with bob when he was clearly younger mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. 18 and then like he knows Mikey. When Mike comes into the house of the old woman, they're like, what's up? And then it's like, that's Mike. You know, he's got narcolepsy. It's kind of, I don't know how he even fucking hustles because he just keeps falling asleep. Yeah, like right. one of the key traits to narcolepsy is that it usually kicks in in moments of high stress or like I emotion. So it's like any sort of sexual encounter presumably would be charged with the potential of, you know, setting a narcoleptic fit. Well, when he's not completely dissociated yeah. from it. That was the right. th- that was like maybe the most heartbreaking aspect of, of it. Because the other movie I thought of immediately was Mysterious Skin. Which is which I've never seen. Way harsher and way more like kind of shock value in in a lot of ways that I don't like. Greg Araki is not really known for <laughs> subtlety, subtlety or nuance. Yeah, like yeah. this is a beautiful and really like <laughs> Gus Van Sant clearly like cares about the people he's portraying. But also yeah. even like like you think of the sex scenes in this movie, which are done as these interesting like frozen snapshots, yeah. right? Where there'll be these shots that. They're, they aren't freeze frames, but no, it's like Gus Van Sant has, has been like, he poses okay, them. Yeah, yeah. Pose and hold it. Right. Yeah. And so the, you you can see like like the slightest hint of movement, but yeah. just people like like posing in these various positions. And it, but and it just is like, like this quick montage of those. Yeah. Of just these like posed frozen moments. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. very beautiful. Yeah. It, what is, I know this is going to totally um, diminish like how lovely that, use of those sorts of images were in that movie, but I do feel like it's been sort of copied in an annoying meme way recently. Um, when wasn't there like a lot of people that would do that kind of thing and just all stand still and somebody would like move through a room like where everybody was pretending oh, to be oh, frozen. It's like the opposite of a flash mob, no, 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 like yeah. a freeze it's the mob. The mannequin challenge. The mannequin challenge. Oh god yeah, damn. That's it. what I was trying to think of. Don't it, compare I was the mannequin challenge. <laughs> that, I said I'm sorry to preface it with the mannequin challenge. Like it was an internet craze in 2016. People yeah. watched Gus Van Sant and then they all started planking. <laughs> yeah, they got everybody got the wrong ideas from my own private <laughs> Idaho. They were like, oh, you know what? 
Do you guys know, challenge? Do you guys have any like theories about the like inclusion of narcolepsy as like a character trait or whatever? Like um, I don't know if I really understood I, its purpose. I mean, I don't know. I can't tell you that I understand its purpose, but I have it. It fits into my whole like take on Mike. Yeah. And, but when I say take, I really this is just mean like I don't I don't have a big like you know the movie is actually this but right can i just talk about mike yeah because mike is <laughs> no. one is one of <laughs> the most tragic figures in a film i've encountered in a really long time and i feel so bad for this guy because he's not even there's like he's so blameless too like the, you don't know anything about you the more you learn the less like sort of blame you assign to him and the more you're just like damn and yeah. this kid's still this like kind of sweet but broken yeah okay so uh this will end up jumping through like a lot of plot things but uh from like later on in the movie but we'll come back to all of it but i just want to like lay out everything about mike because this guy cannot catch a break no he cannot no, <laughs> okay so he was abandoned by his mother at an early age, like his yes. his memories of her are what from when he was very young. Yeah. yeah, and and he just for the whole movie, he just basically wants to connect with somebody and like be loved by somebody. That's really all that he wants, right? Yes. And it takes the form of a quest in search for his mother. Yeah, yeah. and all the intimacy in his life is basically transactionary. Mm-hmm. It is all stuff that people just give him money for. It's not real. And the the person that he does love the most is uh, is Keanu. Yes. And who in one scene when they're they they go on a long journey together and they're like around a campfire. Yeah. And you know he he tells him that he loves him. Mm-hmm. And uh, but Keanu has made it clear that like he's even despite having gay sex, he's yeah. not gay. And well, Keanu's sexuality is a whole other topic that's interesting to talk about as far as his character and how he betrays like his decision right but he, but he does say that like that he is not gay he has i thought he just said for money that's what he only. says which i think is a key difference than saying i'm not gay right especially for his character but who he but i he, think but he isn't interested in, in like outside i think of that. yeah he, his like he was insinuating or you know he was implying that like he wouldn't ever have like a romantic you know, just sort of feelings-based, you know, sexual experience with a guy. Yeah. With a guy. Right. Okay. And so, so Mike is there, and he loves him, and he just, he can't get, like, these feelings will not be reciprocated. Right. And, and so you have that. And he goes on, and on this journey, trying to find his mother. And also, okay, along the way to find his mother, uh, hoping that, like, maybe she can provide, finally, like, like she can, like, you know, bring back those feelings, like the, the memories that he had of, 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 of being a kid, unconditionally caring for you. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and he and he learns from his older brother that his older brother is also his father in yeah. a Chinatown like twist. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's also the product of incest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we learn that. Yeah. And so and then you know they go to different cities and different states. They go to Rome. Yeah. Where his mother is not there. He, he he she was at one point well, but she, yeah she and leaves then, she goes to like work in like a sort of hotel casino thing i don't know what the fuck it was uh and then apparently she saved up enough money at the casino or the hotel to move to rome which she you can you can read between the lines of like this kind of like 
also desperate, sad, slightly poor woman, like mm-hmm. romanticizing this place, like some people would Paris or whatever, and being like, I'm going to go to Italy or, you know, yeah. the country, the Italian countryside, and like, no one will know me and I'll start anew. And uh, they get there. And she's been gone for years from the place, the one last, like, lead they had on her. Well, they say that she just went back to the States, right? Yeah, they yeah. said that she just went back. But the they don't know where. You, right. Which, I love the movie, though, because it, I think it gives you, like, this great feeling that, um, not great, but... Uh, actually, a bad feeling. A very, very, like, bad oh. uh, existential feeling that Mike is will forever be one step behind his mom, who's also, in her own way, right. going on the same journey he is. Exactly. Trying to find, and like, then her own... while they're yeah. in Rome, then, uh, yeah, then Scott basically, like, ditches him as well. Well, he falls in love with the Italian girl that lives on the Who estate. Who is very cute. Yeah, she seems very sweet. Yeah. She's well, beautiful. She's a beautiful Italian <laughs> right. woman. She but they're seems like, lovely. Like, he, and she he, he fails English. to find his mother. Yeah. And uh, and then his his friend that he loves that he's with then ditches him as well. Yeah, he's like, hey, I'm just going to go for a little bit and maybe see you back in the States. Right. And yeah. then once he gets back to the States, then Scott has like claimed his inheritance and like he's wearing like expensive suits. His hair's all slicked back. Yeah. He has very he, like, devil's advocate looking suddenly. Exactly. Yeah. He he's just he's, he's decided like, OK, I'm done with that. Like, you know, gay street hustling world. Like, like, that's not me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a. a Heterosexual romance. I have, uh, you know, I have money now, so my father's bucks. dead, so I don't have to worry about right. him. Right, and so when Mike returns to that world, he now no longer has his best friend in it. And here's my thing with the narcolepsy: the narcolepsy is just like, for me, it's a representation of his entire lack of control over his life. Yeah, he can't even like decide when he's going to go to sleep. This, this thing will just happen at the most inopportune times. He will end up waking up in places where he did not fall asleep. He will be surround, he'll be in unfamiliar situations. He will have been robbed mm-hmm. while he was asleep. Yeah. It's just like the, yeah. the, the narcolepsy is like this just one more way to just rob him of control over his own life. Exactly. And that's why I feel so bad for this guy because, again, and then the, the movie ends with him just suddenly having a narcoleptic episode like while standing in the middle of the road in Idaho and 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 some guys steal his shoes and then a very very creepy in depending on how you interpret the ending either right. you know positive malevolent or, or benevolent figure just picks him up and brings him into his car and drives right. off into the distance and again yeah. th- th- that is him not making choices for himself and just getting carried away to the next spot yeah, he ha- yeah. he has no control. Yeah, and and it's heartbreaking. And mm-hmm. uh, I think this is a really good movie, and it bummed me out. Yeah, thoroughly. Yeah. And well, the, now and we've already woman... talked about the whole plot, basically. Well, great. Cool. Uh, we can that free ourselves up to like just forty-two minute episode. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Follow Jake on Vero. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Next week. <laughs> well, the 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 woman that uh, uh, Scott falls in love with learned English, you know, potentially from Mike's mom while she was staying there when she was like younger. Right. So I don't know if that adds anything, but well, the fact that the woman that in, in probably Mike's eyes is the catalyst for Scott's betrayal and not betrayal, but just Scott's impetus for leaving him forever. But it also is the same like, woman who got something of value from his own mom. Exactly. He's trying to find it's like a double betrayal. Yeah, you're right. It's and it probably like just stings that much yeah. more. And then while they're staying in this beautiful Italian cottage in the countryside, he just to hear them making love in the other room. Yeah. 
He's that, just like pulling his just, hair out. That's yeah. what everyone can uh, <laughs> probably have experienced. Anybody in New York City just living too point. close to other people in apartments yeah. can probably. Or whoever went to college. Yeah. Oh, God yeah. damn. <laughs> yeah. Just exactly. I think he's asleep. Fucking <laughs> 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 stupid college drunk spaghetti logic. Spaghetti noises. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mama mia. Why do you have to call oh, spaghetti the noises? <laughs> I mean, God. she is Italian. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. Still, we can still make fun of them. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but but so like, <coughs> yeah, th- like the plot itself is yeah. is not. It's almost just more like these moments that Mike goes through and Rivers' portrayal of like the character that yeah, just just really wear on you yeah. after a while. Like, they're just so sad because he's so dissociated and seems kind of, like I said, in, like, a druggy haze where, like, he's kind of not really there Yeah, when people are, like, you know, having sex with his body and he's just kind of, like... He's kind of checked out. He, I mean, there is... He goes I, on dates and, like... I like the way that they visualize an orgasm, like, early on when, uh, you know, he's, like... salmon. Oh, he's getting filleted by that guy, and then he, like, starts to come, and then a giant abandoned, a like... House. House, like, house. falls, falls into the road. <laughs> and smashes into the road, yeah. Pat, I hate to say it, but this movie... It's a tone like poem. It. It's a tone poem, and uh, you like a tone poem. Exactly, and it's yeah. honestly one of the few times that I have to say that phrase is pretty accurate for what this movie's trying to do, because... There's no like major character arc, at least not for Mike, the focal point of the movie. Obviously, Scott gets a sort of arc, and some of the minor characters do, but um, but Mike and his whole through line is to just demonstrate this whole tonal idea. <laughs> Ooh, you are a tone poet. Have you seen sir. this? I have seen this. This is great, by the way. Somebody rotoscoped you. Tone poet. You look so 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 much weirder with the like. Oh my god, it's so great. That's great. Who did that? Shout That's out awesome. to yeah. Let's give that person. Somebody Hi. did like a rotoscope pat with it says Patrick yeah, Williams tone that shit poet. Rocks. That's exactly. Cool uh, this is Ed Mc, uh, Ed McTweet. That sounds like the, not that his sounds real like name. That sounds like a Twitter handle. Sounds like a handle. Ed McTweet. And, if um, I'm using my thinking cap, it's a handle, I believe. <laughs> Uh, yeah. You look like you're in the movie Waking Life in that photo. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that'd yeah. be sick. Yo, that'd be dope. Just talk about to Mission just Impossible. Never wake up from Everyone a dream. else is talking about like pseudo philosophical bullshit, <laughs> and then Pat's just talking about Mission Impossible. And then he floats into the sky into <laughs> another dream, and then they're talking about, you know, uh, Fast and the Furious. Nice, dude. Yeah. yeah. It just keeps going. It never ends. It's just about different franchises you like. Exactly. So, like, um, you know, so yeah, like Mike is checked out, and uh, Gus Van Sant also uses. What was before this? What was his movie before? Drugstore Cowboy. Cowboy. Fucking so good, too. Okay, Gus Van Sant, he's great. Also, have I am so not well-versed in Gus Van Sant. This is the first director we've done that I I feel genuinely well-versed in. Every movie, aside from maybe his most recent, which is... uh, I've seen pretty much everything except what comes after Milk. Milk is the last... Yeah. so, So I'm missing like four or five... And I know that he did Sea of Trees, which, you know, a couple ones that didn't really get a lot of critical clout attached to him. Sea of Trees, I think he did a movie called, like, Restless or something. I heard, funny enough, the Joaquin Phoenix movie, Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. It's supposed to be pretty good, but I never saw it. Yeah, damn, I had meant to see that. Um, For for some weird reason, this was a director who, I think, maybe when I was, like, in high school or college, even though, like, I had seen obvious ones like Goodwill Hunting and stuff like that. Yeah. And... A lot of the ones that you know that I, I would hear about, I like 
as I've gotten older, I've been like, I will get to all of these. But I think when I was in high school and college, they always seemed boring to me. Yeah. They seemed like the kind of boring indie movies that I wasn't interested in. And uh, and so I was always like, uh, to, like Jerry and Last Days always yeah. seemed like like just like movies I just didn't want to see. Well, yeah, you, I, I you would very much react because I'm sure people know this by now. But like you know, you are you were reacting to the Oberlin Film Studies yeah. environment, which is ex- that is extremely their shit. And you were, <laughs> yes, and you were clearly is. like you were an outsider in defining yourself as like a defender of like more popular films, just right. like more popular film. Whereas I think Jake and I were at least I can speak for myself when it came to like most artistic media, I was in the throes of my deepest elitism. <laughs> and so like I like I had some bad reasons for watching a lot of really good movies. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted like to have you know seen and listened to and experienced all this stuff a lot of the time so that i could like weaponize it and like be use it to be cool be more informed but like i now do draw with some fond contempt for my previous self i do draw like a lot from my film watching from like a five-year period Right. Yeah, which included movies like Last Days. Last Days. Because we watched Last I, Days and Elephant, Elephant, I think, around the same time. Right. And both of those movies really... I mean, Elephant especially, which I haven't seen recently, but Elephant really like rattled me because that movie is unrelentingly well, scary we saw that in, in high its school. tone. Yeah, so and, that's um, even worse. But the, even the way that he shot it and framed it, it's like if you distilled a lot of the quieter moments of My Own Private Idaho. You could tell Gus Van Sant is taking... My own private. If my own private Idaho is like a good template for everything Gus Van Sant can do, then a lot of his other movies are distilled versions of one or two aspects that he pulls from there. Right. So like take Last Jerry, Days and Elephant. Last Days and Elephant, which They're is like all... his trilogy of. I will death. say like even <laughs> yeah. I, I think even like in high school yeah. are uh, yeah I, I did intend to see Elephant because I yeah. think that won the Palm Door right I believe so yeah yeah but like for instance Jerry. I don't. Mo, a lot of critics weren't as as into that one. Like that. Okay. Like Elephant. M- most people were just like, "Oh, this is great." Yeah. Jerry was one where a lot of people who like had liked Elephant were like, "Oh no, this is just pretentious nonsense." I don't know if the kid had to be playing Moonlight fucking Sonata. Well, I who knows how I would feel watching it later. I just do remember watching that in high school, and it really rattling me the way that he shot it was was like watching a horror movie i mean it's just long takes from behind yeah, all that stuff just uses like tracking move around a high yeah. school during a and shooting guys, it's very very scary finding forrester which is the <laughs> great talk about it's that. the thematic squeakle to <laughs> exactly it's to a, goodwill hunting it's the movie that taught us that you're the man now dog you're the man now dog <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it is still. It makes me so happy that 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 ytmnd.com got its name from a, a Gus Van Sant film. That movie is so strong. I mean, Van Sant's career is also just wild because the there's Psycho no remake. other person. The Psycho remake yeah, is what? just sticks Vince out like Vaughn? a sore thumb. The oh. only thing different about it is that Vince Vaughn sort of jacks off in one scene, and hey, it's otherwise it's shot for shot just a remake of Psycho. It's a terrible idea. To Die For is like the funniest I hear it's evil great. satire I gotta see that. of just like media personalities yeah. and television. <laughs> and once again, Joaquin's With in that, and, and he's amazing. And you know who wrote 
the screenplay for To Die For. For To Die For. I know David Cronenberg shows up in it in a cameo. Did yeah, he but also you know, write it? You know no. who wrote the screenplay? Who? Someone who wrote the screenplay for another movie that we have discussed all together. Ooh. Oh, um, uh, the guy that wrote uh, Blow Dry. Nope. Mm. <laughs> Damn. Oh no! I can't guess, Pat. When you smile, it makes me feel bad because I know I'm going to let you down. Just say it. <laughs> no, the just information. Say it. You should not know this. Okay, just tell but us. But I'm excited for you to know this. Ooh, say then. Okay. Buck Henry, <laughs> writer of Town and Country. No, really? No. But he, he also wrote The Graduate and like lots of great movies. Oh, I, oh, forget, I keep he's forgetting. He's a good writer. Yeah. He's a good writer who got stuck in a terrible city. That was a vortex of despair. God damn, dude. And, I and, fucking hate that movie so much. <laughs> yes. I mean, the, 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 the problem... God yeah. damn it. The thing about Town and Country, the reason we hate it so much, is because yeah. it, there are so many hugely talented people involved, and there is no excuse for that just... Awful, awful, loathsome piece of shit getting made. <laughs> Fuck. But uh, anyways, <laughs> Van Sant I like though, right? Because he he, he did. Uh, I like talking about him because I actually have seen most of his movies. So um, he obviously worked in Hollywood for a little bit. Uh, I you know he did some like light screenwriting at the time, but couldn't get any projects off the ground. Raised money to do Malinoche which then sort of got him enough clout to raise the budget for Drugstore Cowboy. So My Own Private Idaho was this big thing that he was trying to shop around because he had gotten a little bit of notoriety and popularity from Drugstore Cowboy. But it was the most scattered idea and concept, and he literally could not pull the funds together in order to get this set straight. Because, you know, one studio was like, let's lean on the Shakespeare adaptations. People love Shakespeare adaptations. I want the youth to just all talk in Shakespearean dialect. And (laughs) and then they're like, get this stuff where they go to Idaho and Roam out. I don't really get it. He was really ahead of the curve on the, like, uh, modern young people Shakespeare adaptations that would really blow up in the late 90s. Yeah. And, of course, we should mention now, this is Keanu's first, but not last, Shakespeare adaptation. Because and he'll be he'll be Don John pretty soon. Don John. In a, Don John. Isn't that that other movie where he's like... Where Joseph Gordon-Levitt like likes, a, some likes a porn Yeah, yeah. No, that, is the, that is the movie directed by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. The only movie he has directed. Uh, <laughs> no, Much Ado About Nothing is, is coming up. Yeah, um... So yeah, you're right. So I guess maybe this is a for, like one of the the flagship examples of a movie. Yeah, he is Don John and Much Ado About Nothing. Nice, interesting. Yeah, the, yeah I, I was like, that's the character's name. And I'm it just is. laughing because it's also yeah, that's actually horny Guido jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> he is horny Guido. <laughs> yeah, I love this movie though, right? Because he managed to pull this movie off against all odds. And we get to cover the movie he does right after this, too, because Keanu is also in Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. Yeah. Yep. And uh, that is a big, is that stanky a, mess. Is that Tom Robbins? Yeah. Yeah. Which is another interesting thing, because that really puts into stark relief an aspect of Gus Van Sant that you don't really think about too much now, which is that he really pulls from like the beats the beat writers and stuff like Burroughs was a big influence yeah. on drugstore cowboy on drugstore cowboy and this movie, my own private Idaho. He wanted to use the cutout technique is the whole reason why he was like, Oh, you know what? I can pull my short story and my two screenplays and Shakespeare all into one thing, well, you know, and just scatter the scenes around and like, I think it'll still work. Like we said, you yeah. know, first of all, it takes, I think, you know, the creative vision of Gus Van Sant. Luckily, I think the other key factor is he was the originator of all of the disparate things. It wasn't like, I think normally when we think of this, it's like 
different writing teams coming in and yeah. just like crashing into <sighs> the intentions and tone yeah. of other writers. Uh, so like, it is something to be like, it's a tortured process, and he's drawing in a lot of various versions. Exactly, but it's all him, which is a big. It probably keeps endorsement certain- for just a coherence if you just let a person like yeah. sit with something and like put it out there yeah and it's come from him after sitting for a long stretch of time because i think he had some of the initial ideas for this back in the 70s and there's so many like film there's so many bizarre little flares and and touches and techniques in this film because like yeah there's the like sort of bodies posed and and sort of like balancing in these like Mm -hmm. artistic sort of chiaroscuro mannequin challenge ways mannequin (laughs) uh, the mannequin challenge technique we'll call it yeah uh there's that the MCT. There's that hilarious portion of where like they're all in different like um, like gay porno magazines like I on the covers yeah. and they're all yeah. talking to each other like Brady Bunch <laughs> intro style. Uh, you notice Keanu holds his hand up to his belly to kind of mask the scar too. Which yeah, I thought was funny. right. Yeah, and he has the line about how uh, you know once you start doing it for free, yeah. that's when you grow wings. As yeah. in that's when it means you're a fairy mm-hmm. because that's when it means like you're, you know, because again, he doesn't do gay stuff for free. For free. Yeah. Right. It's like, you know, he has this hard line with things. Um, and like, then there's Mike who's like posed kind of like Jesus Christ. <laughs> Or whatever in the other magazine, um, yeah, like Jesus Christ in repose, like he, the the cross is like leaning back a little yeah. bit for some strange reason. I don't know what the magazines were all supposed to be. Honestly, that scene, kind of, as much as I love that technique, that scene just felt random. It was just delightful enough that I didn't mind it being interjected <laughs> in there. Right, but I was a little unclear as to why suddenly we were looking at all of the characters on magazine racks and like on the covers some of these early scenes like that one in particular they're uh they're not like lying to us but they do kind of you know get you into the idea of uh, that you're watching a more fun movie than you are yeah because there's that then then they're like oh yeah well let's uh you know rob some concert promoters and stuff like that and it just seems like they're these guys and they're 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 friends and they do they have this like unconventional but fun life full of just like random adventures and stuff like that and um sex with strangers (laughs) yeah and then and then it, it it really doesn't take long to, to you know, for the the sort of like harsh reality to become very clear. But I like I you know that's a that's a appropriate seeming one two punch to give yeah. to this subject. Yeah, and this movie like, does have a lot of moments of like actual really, jokes. Levity. Le- like well, levity. I really like, like thank you levity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really like the um, jocularity. The, <laughs> nice. Uh, the like they're all just kind of like uncomfortable and like dirty and just hang out in this diner and like kind of half asleep because they're just up all night and there are those stories those like talking heads portions where those the other like male hustlers are like talking about their like first date they did you know Mm -hmm. so to speak Mm -hmm. and it's always just them just getting raped or threatened with violence oh my god those stories are horrific and And they say them in these people yeah yeah they say them in like a kind of jokey tone you know because it's like they're now They've now, you know, had some had some experiences and like seen some stuff and like, but they still like kind of are 
are half not negotiating what was clearly like a fairly traumatic moment or whatever. Yeah, they've had like a weird amount of distance between the present and whenever those stories happened to at least... Everyone's pretty traumatized. Everybody's traumatized, but like views it either with like a certain kind of numbness or like shrugs it off and tries to make it make light of it. Yeah. You know, like, you know, know, nobody's because like, I think like, you know, the, the big thing now, right. Because this was 92. This is 91, 91. 90. Uh, So like, you know how people are like trying to sort of give power back to sex workers and be like, this is a legitimate thing. And like. Yeah, you know, trying to de-emphasize almost a lot of like the fact that it's troubled. I would say, I'm yeah, just, I just, I the don't have that a point. I'm just wondering, like, would it, would this movie even be received well now? Sure, yeah, like this movie in the context of today, what, like, the these thing, characters well, are lovable and like they have their, they definitely have agency in in a ton of other ways. But like, Mike it, is almost thematically and innately incapable of having agency. It's, right. I think this movie would still be held up today as like a good movie. I think you'd see some slight adjustments in certain scenes. Like we were talking about parenthood. You wouldn't see the scene with the school shooter played as a joke in parenthood right. anymore. That movie right. could otherwise though still get made and people still today appreciate the movie. I think you could see something like my own private Idaho getting made and there'd be a slight adjustment and probably a little bit more emphasis emphasis placed on the like strange troubling aspects he, of the did the sex working business the hustlers are it's it's all played a little bit more lightly than it would otherwise get taken nowadays Does, uh, Do they, are they all actors that it would now you think so the now that the, now that today when when this kind of thing is not as stigmatized as it would have been back then well, and this I, is also like much further from the specter of AIDS and stuff like that. Yeah, I know what you mean. And you know what it is, though? Part of what makes it hard to know if it would be treated more or less seriously today is the fact that uh, this movie, um, because it's bleeding in from so many different sources, like it's interjecting Shakespeare into a story about street hustlers. It's hard to, um, if you're trying to get the characters to speak Shakespearean dialogue and follow the arcs of Henry the Fourth, Part One and Two, to also have it really be like a <laughs> truly grounded and serious detailing of street right. hustlers in Portland, which I don't think it is. It's not trying well, to do no, that. Yeah. I don't think, it's, anyways. It's, it's Bob who. What yeah. I appreciate. I like the technique of like everyone's basically just being a normal human being who mm-hmm. just speaks normally, and. I liked it was Bob Bob is much more theatrical. Bob is like, you know, this crazed guy who like thinks very highly of himself. You know, he's Falstaff. He's like a wit wit and a source of wit in others, as he would say. And I think like so they kind of explain that away. Like Bob speaks very uh, Shakespearean and, you know, the globe theater style. And he infects other people with the like bug to just also start speaking that yeah. way like he is such a big personality that he his way of speaking just bleeds into everyone else right and I, yeah. I do have to say just about this culture um because gus van tant is i believe from the pacific northwest as well I think so. Yeah. yeah so uh it does feel very like of its time and very rooted to a very specific place and time and so i'm sure it would be different now because that culture probably is not exactly the, the same there yeah. right now. And uh, th- that to me, like, not that Gus Van Tant, I think, was like living on the street or anything like that, but I, I'm sure he observed lots of people like this yeah. and was pulling from stuff that he had some familiarity with. Well, yeah, my other question true. was, does anyone know if, if any of those people were 
were like actual street hustlers that he I know that cast. he um I don't I'm not sure if any of the people were. I know he interviewed a bunch because like he got the names Mike and Scott. For, those were two of the hustlers that he interviewed. Yeah, and I do know River and Keanu both also talked with and interacted with like a lot of actual street hustlers in the area mm. in order to research their roles and stuff. I also know Keanu and River and Gus all lived in like a house together while they were making the movie, which is How just nice. sounds delightful. Yeah, they sound like they were really good buddies with one another. Yeah, like and I mean, uh, again, our dude Keanu <laughs> kind of got this Honestly. movie made <laughs> because I, uh, I, um, did you guys read about the development of the of the film? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Gus Van Tent was having a tough time getting it made and, like, you know, casting people. Um, oh, no, he, um, it says here he did cast some actual street kids. Um, those two interviews in the cafe really felt like those they were felt, just, yeah. those were non-actors. Those, those felt legit, yeah. yeah. Those felt like scenes out of, like, Richard Linklater movies. That's yeah. what I was thinking. I was thinking of, you know... Slacker. Uh, Slacker. Yeah. And you know who else I was thinking of was not Linklater, but, uh, what, what's his fucking face? The, tan, the guy who made Tangerine. Sean Baker. Yeah. Like, not for all right. reasons, but just sort of, like, th- that weaving in of, like, a story, but then there's... Well, it's different, but you know what I mean. Like, just, just sort of capturing the lives of these people in Just a, a on culture that, yeah. yeah on the margins that we, right. that we don't tend to see in our day-to-day lives right and yeah. i think the key is empathetically once again right or like sympathetic you know what i mean like again the, key, the more important than almost all the other like auxiliary discourse around the like issue of sex work and stuff it's like are these people do they seem like uh, they are cared for almost by the like filmmaker? Like, does does the person seem like he or she or they are doing like the best they can to to understand to, like, them and yeah. their perspective? Right. Yeah, and tell their stories because ultimately it makes the most interesting film too. And yeah. like, I think that is true of even something as early in that as this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yo, this movie's so wild that it came right after basically Bill and Ted's bogus journey. What a I mean, I know, I know, yeah. I know. Like, point fuck. Break is in between, but like, it's and so quickly. It's came out the same year. Uh, bogus what? is ninety. So we should talk about this movie in the context of our dude, yes, Keanu, because uh, this movie comes at a pretty wild point in his career. Have we ever said Keon text? Oh my <laughs> Keon text. god. We, uh, put the, we should put this movie yeah. in key on text. Yes. Wait, that could be a segment on, on the podcast. Yeah. Where we say, welcome to key on text, where we put the movie in context of Keanu's career. And, and it really where... just has a nice ring. It rolls off the tongue. I like it. <laughs> key on text. It sounds like a... It sounds Come like... Come on, text. Um, it's like key on text. Oh, I'm already forgetting the guy's name. Who's the politician that made the text. funny noise? Uh, Howard Dean Howard Dean Howard Dean and we're going straight to the White House Keon (laughs) (laughs) someone make that destroyed destroyed that man's career he made made one noise I know he he, he shouted he must be shaking his head every time he turns on the TV and just sees what everybody else can get away with he must be drinking (laughs) yeah just (laughs) mumbling about seatbelts or whatever he was into no that's Ralph Nader fuck (laughs) yeah different politician but still he didn't even know anything like that that. it's uh, a I remember that uh, Darth Nader, and it's uh, he's a Sith. <laughs> Very cool, Sith Rogan, and he's a Sith Lord. <laughs> Scotty Nair. 
No. Seth Rogen. Oh, fuck. I'm thinking, yeah. Seth Green. Seth Green. Yeah. Sith Green. <laughs> <laughs> now we're talking. And he's a Sith Lord. And he's a Sith Lord. <laughs> nice, dude. Seth Hell Green's yeah. so short. <laughs> He'd be a so fun is Yoda. That's bitch. true, and he's a cool oh, Jedi. Wait, imagine, not Sith, imagine Seth Green fighting like Yoda, doing like flips all over the place. <laughs> I'm surprised no Star Wars movie has done this yet, where there's like an evil Yoda, like a Yoda that's a Sith guy. Yeah, what race is and Yoda? He, yeah. Uh, we always go back to Star Wars, I feel like, and like consult Wikipedia. We're talking it about is like, our modern mythology. I'm sure it, somebody oh could God. say that yes Joseph or no Campbell, that that's definitively Joseph happened. Campbell, <laughs> in a hero with a thousand faces, would say that the circular nature of the narrative of the call of the mother of the <laughs> goddess. All I'm saying is Bill like... Cosby narrating <laughs> Joseph Campbell. All I'm saying is think about the <laughs> refusal of the call. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear Bill Cosby narrate. Matt, Matt, stop that now. I'm going to talk about Red Sith Yoda. And you're audio, trying to bring in Bill Cosby into the conversation. The audiobook of Hero with a Thousand We're trying faces. to talk about, about Sith Lord item. Yoda. Hey, I'm sorry. Wait, um, I mean, you guys do know there's, there's only one other member of Yoda's race that we've encountered. Oh. You know the you know the uh, the other, the the other person who is from the same species as Yoda. No, no. Wait, really? No, yeah, yeah, a tell member us. of the Jedi Council. Uh, who the fuck are you talking? About? <laughs> what in the heck are you talking? What about? in the Sam Hell are you talking about? I'm talking, you dummies, about Yaddle. Oh, Yaddle, oh. the female Yoda, girl who, Yoda. in the Phantom Menace, is on the Jedi Council. Right. She's pretty cute. And is honestly, not in I any more smash. movies. <laughs> honestly, honestly, hot. I would skewer that fucking. Thing. <laughs> I would spit roast that guy. Don't spit roast Yaddle, man. Don't do it. Uh, I regret this po- this entire podcast. Whatever. At least we're laughing oh, now. Man. We were talking about some serious yeah, listen, stuff earlier. I needed a little like I, pressure yeah. release valve from. Uh, Floundering Ooh. through talking about an experience I know so little about in yeah. any way. Yeah. Do you yeah. know? Do you know Yaddle's biography? <laughs> no. Uh, we will shortly. Yaddle's Yaddle's background is is actually shrouded in mystery. A little bit interesting. Ooh. Tell us. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I, okay. I'm trying. I'm trying Hold to. Hold on Yaddle. a second. What is this Yaddle fellow? <laughs> fellow. What is this Yaddle lass? Uh, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm trying to. Oh, did her and Yoda ever get together? Oh, well, Yaddle's actual. Okay, Yaddle's original backstory is now no longer canon because oh. it was in the expanded universe. Yeah. Because originally, uh, and again, we don't know what the species. I wanted to have Yaddle, with so many of the different Star Wars. I've realized, like, I'm thinking back to all of my comments that we've had when we discussed Star Wars. And it's always, fuck, always been. It's kinda, always me saying I want to fuck uh, one of the aliens we were talking about. It is true. It is true. <laughs> <laughs> we have pulled out a recurring thread here I'm just about have to you mull on that information. Time. Yeah, I think sit on that and think about it. Yeah, but uh, I will say, Yaddle had a pretty exciting career before. Uh, joining the Jedi Council. Yeah, I wonder why she and, uh, decided um, to do that. Then. And yeah, and, and what and, happened to their planet? 
Um, I don't know. We don't even know what their species is called. Okay, this biography is so long, and it's also not even canon anymore. This is the problem with Star Wars. It's like everything, including the most useless characters, have like a novel oh, written about them. No, no, well, here's the thing. The they, problem with they Star did Wars? Sorry. <laughs> are also much of the appeal of Star Wars. Yeah. But, but also, Fair. but it's, it's tricky now because when they uh, like took most of the expanded universe... Uh, out of canon Mm -hmm. and so a lot of that stuff so like Yaddle had this really elaborate backstory uh, where she was like imprisoned for years and then fought her way out of a pit and Yoda uh, was actually against her appointment to the Jedi Council and then she she managed to make it on and then and yet still disappeared between movies and was never seen again but now even a girl Yoda can't make it on yeah yeah SMH. Well, she did. She did. She <laughs> persevered despite Yoda's insistence. Yeah. Yeah. There oh. an- another one there will be. No. <laughs> yes. Vote yes. No, there is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Let's talk I, about my own private. Oh, I would love to talk about she dying ha- again. She had a Padawan <laughs> named elevator. Opo Rancisus. Opal Rancisus. Opal Rancisus style. <laughs> <laughs> Is that an Opal Gangnam style? I want to die, dude. Opal Gangnam. You want to see Opal Rancisus? Yes. No. (laughs) Opal Rancisus. He has beard coming out of his eyes. It looks like a claws of some sort. Some sort of center claws. Uh, My favorite moments on this podcast are when I show you to a picture <laughs> that the audience cannot see, and it just kills and you. And we just scream oh the top my God. of our lungs. Yeah. Fuck. Anyway, this is all along. Wait, wait. How do you get talking about Star Wars? Uh, oh and and I talk about Yaddle. And Yaddle. Yeah. Wow, I've so lost that train already. Yeah. Um, You're talking about our dude, our dude and, then, and then Keontext. Keontext. Keontext is where it came from. And Ralph that, Nader, and then we were talking about how Oh, Darth Nader. Darth, yeah. Darth, Darth okay. Nader. We traced yeah, it back. We traced it back. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so Keon, put it back into Keontext. Sith Green. Wow, it's weird when we follow back our tangents and how, and how <laughs> stupid they are. It's crazy. <laughs> Yes, um, but I do love them. They make me laugh. Uh, but consi- I might as well have dementia. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, brother. Why don't you just literally bros? Hell yeah! Hey, um, cheers. cheers to that. Hey, um, but seriously, think about the the movies that we've been covering recently. We had Point yeah. Break. Yeah. Uh, we had Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And then my own private Idaho. Yeah. And so with the three of these movies, it is funny. Like, I, I, I still understand it. But it's funny to consider Keanu's reputation as, like, uh, a really wooden actor with no range. Because you look at... These are wildly different performances. Yeah. Yeah. This And they're in such close proximity with one another. Especially, like, the, like my own private Idaho and Bill and Ted. You know like, who, who, who... So far apart. Yeah. You know who caught on to this early? Roger Ebert. Our man Ebert. Yeah. yeah. He caught it. He, he knew what was going on. Because, like, Keanu seems to be capitulating almost to the misconception based on a couple movies, like, which I guess were, like, the most popular. Because I still imagine that, like, My Own Private Idaho was probably critically lauded and not often seen by, like, the general public still. I, I would have to guess. It made, I think, like, $6.5 million. I mean, so that's it, a crazy amount of money yeah. for this sort of movie, and I imagine how it would get released nowadays. Yeah, so, I mean, it made, like, yeah. more than double its budget back, yeah. but still, like, that's very little money. Yeah. This was not a hit. This mm. was this was definitely, like, a... It was a critical success. 
Uh, but it, you know, the mainstream was not being like, oh my God, look at Ted. He has such range. This yeah. is a side of him we've never seen before. They just weren't seeing it. It's funny though, because some actors, I know a good famous example is Daniel Day-Lewis when he did My Beautiful Laundrette and A Room with a View in the same year, where he plays sort of like, honestly, similar to a street hustler character in Portland, he does a sem- semi-similar role as like a hustler sort of street youth in London, I think, right. in in My Beautiful Laundrette. And then the exact same year, he plays sort of this posh, dandy, um, very, very like, I don't know, like nervous character with like a monocle yeah. in, a, in a room with a view. So just And people I, go like, look at this actor, like right. it's unbelievable. And then suddenly the, the, the context of those two performances side by side is it's not either movie by themselves, but those two movies together that make people notice him. And for Keanu, that's not what happened. People were just like, Ted, why is Ted doing this? <laughs> I yeah, think it's also a, a thing where, you know, you look at the reviews for Bill and Ted at the yeah. time, and, you know, that movie was like not given the credit. I mean, I think, I think either of the movies were not given the credit they deserved. Right. by a lot of people you know uh, especially the first one you know we talked about this all the people you know who saw it and the, the critics who were like this is celebrating you know stupidity and uh, <laughs> yeah, th- that's true th- this is like there's like this is a really dumb movie with nothing to offer that's true I guess the better analogy would be like if Daniel Day Lewis was in a stupid silly slapstick comedy in London and then a yeah. Wait, no, like, like he was yeah. like uh, acting alongside like Sith Rogan and something yeah, yeah. yeah. Sith Rogan yeah, yeah. and um, actually Daniel Day Lewis would be a great Sith Lord like honestly yeah. Like, uh, he's not going to do a Star Wars movie or any movie for that matter. Yeah, he's not coming but... out of retirement for Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if that check's fat. Yeah. Uh, I know. I, like, what I'm still hoping for yeah. is that Daniel Day Lewis comes out of retirement for one thing, and that is to play the villain in Paddington 3. Because the only way to live up to or to potentially top Hugh Grant's performance in Paddington 2, I think you've got to get DDL. Yeah, and, and you gotta go bigger. And go considering home, the stable the of like great British actors, those movies already have, seems like the right thing to do. But no, um, I think uh, that year for Daniel Day Lewis, that is a really good analogy. And I think the problem just here is more cultural. Yeah, it's an American like, market versus the English right. film cr- like critical circles. It's people not appreciating uh, like how impressive a performance Ted is at the time, and what an interesting movie that is. Yeah, and I'm I calling think American just, audiences uh, hogs and Philistines. <laughs> uh, yes, Matt. Yes, I am. Well, yeah, pearls but, before well, swine. These films only in '91. <laughs> American audiences now are you know very the, astute. Paragons of, uh, mm. of of intelligence, critical and culture. intelligence. Yeah, yes. yeah. But but then also like this movie, it's just it, it was very much a small little art house movie. Yeah. And so I think it's a combination of those two things. Yeah, I hear you. Well, either way, it's too bad that this was potentially overshadowed by right. Vegas. Because then you have uh, then you know Keanu's next big mainstream thing is going to be Dracula, which is when we'll talk about it. That will be the thing that the re- nail in his coffin, if you will. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Will we, will we repeat that joke on the episode? Probably. Probably. I'll probably forget that I said it here. But that will become the uh, maybe the most infamous per- performance of his. But isn't, isn't this more the the thing that happens? Like the rarity of somebody doing two wildly different things and people being like, "Wow, look at the look at the you know the breadth of his skill." Like he can he can he can do these completely you know wide ranged sort of performances. 
isn't the more common occurrence that someone does one thing and they just get fucking nailed up onto it and mm-hmm. just regard it as associated with that only. That's yeah. their performance for the rest of their life. They can live for like 40 years. Well, that's you why know? Keanu's interesting because I feel like we, he we, celebrates that because he's still doing, he's going to do Bill and Ted 3. And right. it's like, he's done that weird thing where like, it's like you just can't keep him down and he like judo flips the, the notion that that's also something bad, which yeah. is like, that you've been so thoroughly associated with, like, maybe a couple things. Yeah. I think just, like, also made that work. Right. I think what's interesting is just, you know, Keanu is a guy who had the reputation as just being this, you know, blank, wooden, boring, repetitive actor for so long. And as early as this, was doing, like, a really interesting variety of work with real range. Yeah, exactly. Because in My Own Private Idaho... uh. I mean, this above almost, aside from maybe like River's Edge, but still, like a lot of the time he plays a far more emotionally stunted youth, even if he's doing these like kind of like serious roles that we've seen him in Mm -hmm. from the earlier stuff. This one, of everything I think so far that we've seen up to this point, requires the nuance of like, somebody who's kind of aware of their like privileged position in society and maybe does have some feelings for random people, but also has to kind of look a little condescendingly and pityingly at the street hustle. Like the, and then he has to turn cold and like, and like ice these people out of his life. And like of basically all the things previously, this might require the most nuance in the performance. And I think he kind of does it. He does, yeah, and I agree. I also think he, uh, so many of just his, the things that he does naturally, um, he removes from his performance here. Uh, he, he still, you know, like, moves with this sense of, of, like, physical grace, as he always does, but mm-hmm. there's none of the bounciness. Yeah, he's uh, pulled that away from his performance. Uh, yeah, like, that's gone. Just a, a, a lot of the natural vocal uh, like rhythms that I think we've we've heard him hit so many times times before are like uh, the sort of the California that is usually in his voice <laughs> yeah. isn't really like present. Yeah, California one. by way of Canada, which I will admit is a fairly stupid like sounding <laughs> way to speak. Yeah, <laughs> it's like two very like oh yeah and like oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like not great. Yeah, right. in combination though. Yeah. Very alluring in a weird way. I like that this movie, um, obviously he was acutely aware of the fact that this movie was going to come production-wise right after Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And um, I appreciate, A, his willingness to read the script, but also his agents see his willingness to vet yeah. the script to him because the the story, I've heard two different accounts of this. One of the stories goes that Keanu Reeves got the script first through his agent and that he was actually the first person to be amenable to the idea and that Gus Van Sant, who had wanted River Phoenix for Mike, asked Keanu Reeves, knowing that he was friends with the Phoenixes, to literally go down to their estate in Florida and personally hand him the script because he could not get through, like he couldn't even get Phoenix's agent to show Phoenix the script. Right. So, he, so Phoenix wasn't even aware that he could potentially do this role. I love that's those, one story. I though. love those stories. Why was he so? Why do you think that Phoenix's agent was like? I wonder if there was just like a reticence to do an like an openly gay film like this for actors that they I, maybe thought they wanted to have like a public image like this is going to be a new superstar and at the time this is like a risky 
career move. But why wouldn't it why just wouldn't seems Keanu strange to me? Why wouldn't Keanu way? receive the same treatment? Because if anything, he was even more different. Like, different agents. Different agents. Different I guess, agents for different to, folks. <laughs> different gents. strokes. Yeah. But, I, the other story I've heard, and there's this really cool interview. I forget where it was written. My computer just died. Oh no, no, I still got it. It's on. Uh, it's called. Uh, it's on Interview Magazine, and it's. Uh, I a also whole section have of my this own article open on my Idaho? computer. Okay, good. <laughs> By Paige Powell and Ginny Sykes. Um, and this. Oh yeah, sorry. Go ahead. They talk about the genesis of this, and Phoenix and. Keanu are both on the record from like an interview done way earlier during the press junket, I guess, for this movie. Um, talk about how they got the scripts. And their story is that they actually both were handed the scripts while they were um, like working on their films before this. Maybe like I Love You to Death. When they yeah, were together, they got the scripts, and then they read it in the car and kind of made a pact. And it was like, "Ooh, I'm nervous. This seems like an interesting movie, but I'm." It's like it feels a little nervous because it's like a movie we've never done before. Right and here, essentially shook hands and was like, "I'll do it if you do it, and if you don't do it, neither of us do it." Yeah, right here, River Phoenix yeah. says, uh, "We were doing I Love You to Death, and we both got the Idaho script. Yeah. We were driving in a car on Santa Monica Boulevard, probably on the way to a club, and we were talking really fast about the whole idea. We were excited. It could have been like a bad dream, a dream that never follows through because." no one commits but we just forced ourselves into it we said okay i'll do it if you do it i won't do it if you don't we shook hands that was it yeah makes me love their friendship even very more. different account though that's what i mean <laughs> so there's these v- two very very different stories my inclination is to believe what river phoenix and keanu reeves are saying personally <laughs> yeah then sort of like this wikipedia account of like oh this agent got handed this script um because that's the more dramatic story, and probably it was something less unless crazy. It's like, unless it's somehow like a mixture of both. Yeah, and like at first the the script was sent and it didn't take, and then they somehow got it. Yeah, film, you know, because the development process seems long. Right, like, true. This the, is the amount of writing that went into and revising in different forms of writing seems like it could have taken a couple years. Oh, here's also another quote that I want to read. Uh, Probably in regards to what may have been in in this story that may not have happened, uh, but like an an agent's perspective on this. But uh, the interviewer says, both of you are very popular among adolescents. In particular, teenagers seem to relate to you, Keanu, because of your Bill and Ted persona. Was there any concern in your camp, say from your agent or manager, that playing a male prostitute would hurt your image? And Keanu says, hurt my image? Who am I? A politician? <laughs>, Laugh softly. Yes, no, nice. I'm an actor. That wasn't a problem. But shooting was a very intense experience. I had just finished Point Break and was still into my character. I felt a bit of anxiety about Idaho. I was overwhelmed at what I had to do. I was like, oh no, can I do this? I was afraid. But Gus and River made me fit in. Said, let's do one bitchin' movie. I don't know about you, River Man, but I was introduced to so many elements through the guy I was playing. Real people, my imagination, Gus's interpretation, Shakespeare. It was rich. It was just so <laughs> bottomless, man. You could go as far as you could go, you know? What a hippie. I love it. Uh, yeah. What a good dude. There was. Oh, you know, wait, 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 wait. Sorry. There's, there's a, so many great stories uh, from this no, interview. It, I, this just this next part continues, and it's We're like make it, a bitch in movie. Wait, wait, wait! <laughs> just hold up, because then they say I remember reading an interview with Robert Downey Jr. after Less Than Zero, where he said he was afraid people would harass him because of his character. Has anyone reacted strongly to your rules? 
Then Phoenix says, fuck them. That's all I can say. A big capital F, a U-C-K, and them. T-H-E-M. And, um, and then Keanu says, get a clue, man. Oh, my God. He's like Bart Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> Eat my shorts. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Listen, if I'm going to play a male prostitute, don't have a freaking cow about it, all right? <laughs> this interview is great, though. There's so many fun little things you can pull out of it. One of the things I loved was um, they talk about the sex scenes. Um, oh, with Udo Kier. With Udo Kier. Also, who, by the way, we, it, unsung, he's so funny in this movie, but oh also twisted and sad in his own way. Shout out to him and the guy who needs his apartment cleaned by River Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. As like, this, those two scenes were more what I meant Again, Mysterious Skin, it's not a fair comparison. I think it's a like far more like garish and kind of like gross movie. Maybe a little more exploitative. Yeah, it feels a little there's something wrong about it. I saw it when I was a teenager, but like uh the dates as like a sort of sequence, it reminded me of like yeah. all the different types of personalities. Right. Of like weird people that like are closeted or just yeah. like sick or like whatever that just need this this reminded me a yeah. lot of both the movie and tv show of uh the girlfriend experience yeah i've seen the movie <laughs> i haven't seen the tv yeah, show yeah the it's good. um the show's good it's uh it's the same general premise but like different character different yeah. story but it's the same thing you know they're both about like sort of uh high-priced escorts uh who you know largely have like this like stable of clients that that are regulars and uh and some of them will just want them to to like just like talk and and stuff like that but it's yeah. just it's just very much like following them doing their job and uh and, and with, with like the wide variety of different clients uh that the they movie's work, work is like short stories in a way yeah, like you exactly. basically have like this cipher of a protagonist that sort of drifts around and you just hear like little mini Vignettes of like needy right. people like who don't get what they're looking for. It's what high maintenance life. uses as its whole shit. Exactly. Like, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. these are these are both careers where people are freelancers essentially. Yeah. Right. And so you just come into contact with a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. But that's you know and th but that it River Phoenix as Mike it does it's uh he is kind of a cipher like he doesn't really know anything about himself almost he clings to like these little scraps of memories that he has you know of his, his mom his the 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 incestuous union that spawned <laughs> him his uh dad's brother yeah his brother dad uh keeps trying to kind of like get him to not it, uh, he tries to keep convincing that that's not what happened right so it's it, i don't even know if it's clear that that's true because i think the movie still is just at it's the vague. end of the day, is meant to be a tone poem about drifting neediness. <laughs> well, it's just like... <laughs> and e alone. And everything alone. about him is hazy and unclear. Yeah. And the narcolepsy, like you said, adds another layer of unreality where not only is he like not, not in control, or maybe it's partially there to like represent that, but his his waking and, and, and dreaming states are, are pretty like <laughs> patchy as well. Mm -hmm. And also it's just a great device... You know, it's to, one to of the really times, on the head, yeah. like indicate what he's feeling, which is yeah. like uh, anxiety. Never being there during like the crucial moments of your life, like never, never being reckoning. present during yeah. like those moments of intensity. Um, I, can we emphasize? I really just like my f the, one of the most touching scenes is that campfire scene, though, yeah. where they're talking, where he's finally yeah, it's really sad admitting it. And I I don't know how it would kind of just like be stupid to try and explain why it's great, but just. 
River Phoenix is like delivery is so sad. Would you want to know something cool about that scene too? Is that Van Sant had kind of like written a much shorter three page scene and River Phoenix rewrote the scene personally and then just did that and added a bunch of extra stuff about him being like really in love with Keanu Reeves. I think the idea of the scene, the way Van Sant had had it written was that it would be a lot more vague and that he was just kind of interested in Keanu, but it wasn't going to be like this big, he's the unrequited love of the movie. And then River Phoenix just is like, doesn't feel right. Can I take a crack at it? This is why I love Van Sant too. And why like his sort of scrapbook movie works because he's literally just taking in collaborative moments from the actors. It's like Phoenix is like, I'm feeling this scene. Let me write something else here. And Gus is like, go for it. And then he writes like an eight page scene out of a three page scene yeah. and has him sitting at the campfire and does it again. And it's like the most touching scene in the whole movie. But you get like why, you know, um, why Keanu works as the counterpart to that is a little bit of that that kind of like stoniness comes in and yeah. really works in the favor of a character who is very intentionally and a little bit sociopathically keeping his distance from everybody that he's with and like there to kind of just milk experiences from them and like live quote unquote real life partially like for like a legitimate reasons. Like, yeah, I think he does have a kind of tenderness towards these people, but like, it really works as somebody who at the end of the day and at the end of the movie is going to just completely shut them out yeah. and just be like, I don't know who you are. Get away from me. People like guards. You mean like exactly <laughs> like he does with Bob. That's what I'm saying is like Bob the, literally the, dies of a broken heart the next right. day. Well, that happens <laughs> he, in the play. He says, I don't yeah. know you. Yeah. That Falstaff dies for the same reason. A broken heart. That's like spurned. the only thing I really also remember is that like eventually Henry assumes the throne and he had been like, I'm going to come back for y'all and like, I won't forget my friends and immediately does. Yeah. And they all die that, of broken yeah, heart and, and being forgotten. That's well, my goal personally. Like, yeah. I just want to become a big success, make a lot of money and then have you guys be like, oh, cool, Pat. Like, you know, let, now now we get to do stuff too. And I'll be like, I don't know you guards. Take them outside <laughs> guards. And, and gun them down. Gun them down? Not just kick us out? I, no. At first I heard Gundam down. <laughs> and I was like, yo, sweet Gundam. Yo, you Wayne. get into a Gundam and just start shooting at us. And we're like, yeah. You know no, what this... I won't hang out with you guys, but I'll give you cool like Gundam action figures. I'll, fair oh, trade. No. Yeah. Gundam action figure? Can I paint them? Are they like if a paint you by numbers don't, thing? You better make James Cameron money and then develop Gundams that you give me and Jake. And we will, we, you will never hear from us again if you give us Gundams that we just fly around here. <laughs> fair trade, dude. I'll, invent, I'll, fair I'll use trade. my money to invent Gundam technology. Fair is fair. And then I'll give you each a Gundam. You will never hear from us again. Only tales will be heard of just two mobile suits flying around the earth. <laughs> <laughs> fighting each other and destroying other. countries. Wait, can you imagine? Okay, uh, here's the scenario. I become like a billionaire. and but Mine you, better have an energy blade too. Of course. I want an energy sword. But wait, so here's the scenario. I, want, I become uh, a billionaire and you two, but you two have some some like info on like about my, my past that could like yeah. ruin me. And so you come and blackmail me. Yeah. And you're like, but we'll go away quietly. As long as we get this whole thing goes away, Patrick. Just, just as long the as we each get our own Gundam, and I'm like, but those don't exist. How could I give it to you? And you're like, figure out a way. Yeah, not our problem. It's up to you. Exactly. Give us a Gundam, or the world finds out. Yeah. <laughs> and then I have to invent Gundams. Yeah. And yeah. you do. And you do. And it's a happy ending. We get what our a Gundams. What a good movie that would be. 
That'd be a great movie. Yeah. yeah. You want to know something about it this just movie? Ends no, with actually, the invention of Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> no, it fades to black and it's a title card. Honestly, and Pat no. invented Gundams. Look, in if 20. I become a success, I just want to get Gundams for all of us, and we'll yeah. be friends in Gundams. I will do a podcast idea. from our Gundams. Yeah, in space, outer space. Exactly. Yeah. That we'll, sounds. We'll be talking about the honestly, career of. We'll be, we'll, we'll be talking about Keanu's movies that he made when he's like 80 years old and still looks the same <laughs> but we record our episodes in Gundam but we'll in space. also look 80 years old but we're in Gundam so <laughs> if you even say such a thing my energy sword is gonna Prepare come to out. meet the blade of my Gundam <laughs> energy um I was uh this movie made me think about um the phrase my own private Idaho because I was like wait that's thinking of the b-52s uh, yeah I was, I was like I was like oh this is like the b-52s have a song my own private Idaho I was like well clearly this is like an expression that I didn't know about so i looked it up um uh it is not an expression gus van sant just likes that song and he was listening to it and driving around and felt like it captured whatever then why did the b-52 sing it that's what i was i went down a rabbit hole because okay. i was, and then i started listening to the b-52s and i was like the b-52s fucking rule <laughs> well yeah we knew I, that yeah but like planet claire are you kidding <laughs> claire is fucking awesome <laughs> and i was so i listened to like all of the b-52s records which they don't have that many um but <laughs> this is jake's version of the why research. isn't that the whole soundtrack to this movie I, why don't they play Private Idaho from the B-52s in the I credits? Actually, I didn't know that was a song. Don't be so heavy-handed. You're, You're living, living in your own, own private Idaho. Idaho. <laughs> On the ground like a wild <laughs> potato. Don't forget the patio. Fred Schneider, come on, Love Shack, you know the B fifty two. Yes, I, I know the B fifty two. But you don't know Private Idaho. Who did you I turn don't. Into? I, I come know on, Pat. I'm turning into Schneider. Schneider. Come on, we gotta do this. You know the B fifty two. Wasn't huh? a whale. No, it was, it was a, a giant tail. Rock Lobster? Yes, I've heard. I know the song. <laughs> okay, yeah. you know, like we're like just saying very popular songs. Rome, I'm looking at you. Roam if you want to. Yeah. Roam around the world. Yeah. But Turn there's one thing. Turn that mic down. <laughs> Turn Am I blowing out his the... mic down? No, just it, it, guys, keep going. So my own private Idaho <laughs> is uh, a song with the B52s off the album Wild Planet. <laughs> And when was the album was, released? And who produced was, it? The album was released in 1980. Um, I don't know who produced it. Wait, was but, it really? Yeah. Wow. Thanks. 1980. It's a great album. Thanks, this man. is a good podcast. In my personal estimation, it has important information. It's the B52's best album. Bottomless. Ooh. Wow. Wild Planet. Listen to it. But um, it's got Quiche Lorraine. What a great song. Quiche Lorraine, the poodle. Yeah. Yeah. Pat, we're going to play B52's for you. After Can this. we talk about this fucking movie? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm talking about the title of the movie and where it came from. So you're yeah. you're just like uh, taking a little like oh, I'm uh, sorry. Do you want to talk about Yaddle's Apprentice again? Yes, I. <laughs> I mean, come on, you enjoyed that. I did. Enjoy I did it. too. You're not liking when we just look at you incredulously and list B52 songs. No, I'm kidding. Go this ahead. Is a great segment. It's more apropos of whatever yeah. the fuck that was. Yeah. You're, <laughs> Jay, you're just taking the scenic route. Yes, I'm taking the scenic route. Yeah, and he's chewing so, up the scenery. I was like, okay, what's that song about then? My own private Idaho, and the B52s, Fred Schneider. One of the singers of the band was watching an episode of the Twilight Zone called The Bewitchin' Pool. Bewitchin? Bewitchin. B-E-W-I-T-C-H-E-N. Bewitchin. Oh, E-N. Yeah. Bewitchin. Like bewitchin'. Like you've been bewitched. Ah, I hate that. Bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. And he watched this, and it was an episode of the Twilight Zone about these two kids who are like living with their family in this idyllic, I guess, Idaho house with a big backyard and a big pool. And they find out their parents are arguing and uh, they're clearly on the verge of getting a divorce. And the kids are like, we hate it here. Home sucks. Our mom and dad like hate each other and blah, blah, blah. 
And then this little kid comes out of their pool and he's like this magical little Huck Finn character. <laughs> and he's like, hey, what's going on, everybody? He's like, come on in the pool and you can go to this magical Never Never Land. And the kids are like, oh, wow, gee. And they jump in and uh, then they do. They go to like this beautiful new dimension where everybody's just happy and there's no parents having any strife. And what happens is the kids pop back out and they try to like influence their parents a little bit from what they've learned, like how to be happy and stuff. And the parents just don't get it. So then the kids eventually just go to the other dimension forever. Whoa. That's that was cool. actually pretty, yeah, that and I thought the, folds into the movie. The, the movie, yeah, as far as like a thematic thing is like, oh, here's like this mirage of a new world, like an alternate dimension where, you know, parental strife doesn't exist. And the idea of like a broken family is a non-concept. And I was like, you know what? That actually does fit. And it fits in with the scattered shot reference jigsaw puzzle we've been doing of this movie anyways it's drawing from a million sources i love that the title comes from van sant listening to a song that he just thought was cool written by a band that a just steals from like 60s and 50s kish like pop right uh, you know iconography and andy warhol type stuff and they just watched happened to watch an episode of the twilight zone that made them write this song right and they don't like the band never even went to idaho in their entire lives people were like why did you write that and he's like i don't know it sounded cool you don't even think if they were touring they they, they I, I, I read this too they didn't play an actual concert in idaho until they like had a reunion in like the 2000s oh, i remember that reunion sometime too, way later because they came out with that remastered cd came with the album funplex yeah also funplex <laughs> i love the b52s is really all i was trying to say though thanks jake you're welcome thanks for that jake and we all, back we all, to our field reporter on the ground jacob torpy and we're back thank you we all enjoyed that very much <laughs> <laughs> and that was a great question and i thank you for it <laughs> <laughs> all right i mean there's not much like nah there's not much it's it's such a performance-based film They've excised, like, the relationship portion of a Shakespeare play, and I think pretty adeptly kind of, like, placed it in this other narrative, and it's yeah. th but it's through the eyes of what would be a bit player in that play, because it's mostly supposed to be about this street hustler, and it's supposed to be a tragedy, I would say, like... You can read the last you can read the last scene, the last moment of the last scene ambiguously as a positive or negative. There's also this like druggy. Yeah, it, it could really go either way. There's like this yeah. druggy. The fact that it happens after he sure. gets robbed makes me wonder if it was supposed to be like the positive, like uh, a, a good Samaritan. It nothing truly terrible has happened to him throughout the rest of the movie. So much as he just keeps drifting. I don't know if the movie's meant to say like, and then he got murdered in this car. Or yeah, like he, raped right. to death or whatever. Really like there's nothing that dark. It's just like, you know, like in the movie earlier, it's like he's in Seattle and then he falls asleep and he wakes up in Portland. I think it's just meant to be like, here he goes drifting away to a new city with no consciousness of the fact that that's happening. To that's him. really how I read it. Yeah. Not, not that like, oh, this person's going to like chop up his body. Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I ne because there's no like previous indication of that. Be like. It's not that's that kind of thing. movie. Yeah, it's not that kind of movie. He. This is what Mysterious Skin does. It's kind of grotesque and like. But for him, he's just, he never gets the shit beat out of him. He's not raped really, like, in any, like, overt scene. There's just, like, there's none of that kind of, like, thing going on. He's just a sad kid, basically. Who can't really catch a break and who can't really get out of this life. Who right. who, who, who loves someone who can just leave this life, an option does, that he doesn't have. Yeah, and right. 
and but is like more true to himself but it's weird like his sense of self is so you know amorphous and kind of like porous that yeah right he never really like he's he talks so quietly he has like the yeah. way he talks really got to me. I don't know why. This is I, just how River Phoenix, I think, talks based right. on like other films, but like it works for this character. I do, yeah. and, and I, I want to talk a little bit about the movie's visuals because, uh, like, I think it really effectively uses what I believe are um, uh, it's Super Eight footage for his little kind of like fragmented childhood yeah. flashbacks, just these like snatches of memory. Yeah, and uh, and 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 some of it did feel very sort of. I feel like there's such an easy term to throw around. But I, uh, but just in the kind of like meandering, like slice of life quality, and the way that you'll have these like fragmented, choppy flashbacks and stuff like that playing with time, it it did feel like uh you know like stuff that you'd see in like French New Wave films, yeah, different subject matter, uh, but you know just like following young people and uh you know with this like loose handheld camera work and right. um and like high have the, grain, high grain these jump cuts and stuff like that, yeah. except with a, an extremely different setting and uh and then what I I just I loved every shot here just uh just those parts in Idaho which are pretty much entirely on this like one stretch of road yeah, yeah. it's like he begins the movie there. Then when he and Keanu pass through Idaho again on the motorcycle, they're at the same spot, you know, where he sees like the road looks like a fucking face. And then <laughs> Which it does. Face, yeah. It does. And yeah. then he ends the movie there as well. But it's just this astounding view of just these, these, these rolling hills and this horizon that like gives way to the sky. And like, there's this mountain range there. It's like, it is the only watching those scenes was the first time in my entire life. I've ever had the slightest desire to go to Idaho. Oh, I wanted to go to Idaho for a while. I, because like, I love no no disrespect to people from Idaho. Sure. But like the, the, that big kind of the, the, the big flatness that is, yeah, a lot of like that general region is, uh, is intriguing to me. And they'll have these shots where the camera does like almost like a full 360, Mm -hmm. just like following his perspective as he's just looking around at like taking in all his surroundings. Yeah. Those time lapses were great. I love the time lapse interstitials that happen in between scenes. Especially because the way they'll, they'll have the time lapses where, uh, it'll only be the clouds moving. Yeah. And, and so it'll, it'll almost seem like you won't see like, like the grass moving super fast. It'll like, there's, it it almost seems like it's not a time lapse and the clouds are just moving fast. Mm hmm. Yeah. And yeah, it's uh it's, it's it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. It's a a really well shot film. It's a cold movie. Everyone seems a little bit chilly. Yeah, I, even in Rome, yeah. That's what I mean is like yeah. it's pretty consistent no matter where they go. So like you know, obviously they're in the Pacific Northwest for the most part. Uh so it's overcast, but like yeah, in Rome and in the countryside of Italy, it's also just kind of like gray. There's like these kind of you get those nice brief moments that you get in places like that or like after a rainstorm where like the sun breaks through the clouds and it's like pretty beautiful. But for the most part, everyone just has kind of like a drippy nose and is a little bit cold and everything's pretty like gray. Most of their time in in Rome, there's a little bit just at the very beginning, like like famous uh, 
uh, plaza that he or yeah. whatever it's called. I've been there and I can't remember the name. I can't either. <laughs> but I, but like, Fuck. there's a little bit there in like sunny Rome, but most of the Rome stretch of the movie is set on a a a muddy overcast farm a very very desolate farm where there doesn't seem to be any house nearby for miles and miles yeah but there's a big road there's a huge road that just leads you straight there my only my final personal just uh observation is just like the music um home on the range in america the beautiful yeah and it ends with the pogues yeah it's great touch i love the pogues but that kind of like queasy like uh america the beautiful but done on like an echoey Hawaiian guitar. Yeah, it's like, like a steel. Yeah. It uh, is great and is just like, you know, I, I don't know. I have such a hard time not almost like, yeah, reading, trying to read all of this like te- subtext out of it feels a little bit, I don't know, almost crass to do. The thing is, the movie is like in a statement of on America or some bullshit. But I mean, it's pretty hard not to like arrive at that conclusion that there is one when that music is playing, like America oh, the Beautiful. Yeah, America. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Space. You know, like our lost young men. This is our current B generation. Is just like these, like the the you know the fringes of society, just sort yeah. of like floating along in the like the you know. I think that's there, but I think still Van Sant's like more pressing idea is to just convey that mood overall else like it's aesthetics more yeah, than it is like like some political sort of political or like hard narrative exactly yeah. yeah so i think he likes that there's like a little taste of that there but fair yeah i do too yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's because a beautiful it, movie yeah it's not like uh it's not like mike has traveled to like america's heartland to like find something about america yeah this or, is an easy ride or it, whatever it's like he's mm-hmm. just doing it for like this very personal goal for our, our quest for some kind of like, like emotional closure yeah, yeah. Th- that's all he wants is it, it's just for himself and he's just looking for a very specific thing uh from a person yeah and like where he's from is so geographically empty yeah, I guess yeah. that's the only other thing I would say. Yeah, right. That well, that's that's the thing. It's like Idaho isn't really a place in this movie. Idaho is just it, it's the stretch of road. Idaho is a state of mind, Pat. My <laughs> own private Idaho. Whoa. My own private Idaho. Mind own See? private and Idaho. It, it, <laughs> mind own private mind Idaho. Wait, mind Idaho. Guys, I just cracked the movie. And you hoe yeah. a field, and also no. ho- these hoes ain't loyal. That's it. He, yes. and that's, that's, he's a male prostitute. At the end of the movie, he realizes I da hoe. Oh, and, and he is one. For show. For show. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. the movie. That's what it's about. And, uh, we cracked it for you. Wow. Thank we you cracked for that egg wide open, everybody. Can we make an omelet? Gus Van Sant, you thought you fooled us, but nope. <laughs> yeah, we get it. We, you Van can't. You Van. <laughs> yeah. So don't think about it again. <laughs> Stop saying that. Oh, it's a fun time with friends. You just gotta embrace the chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm just happy we're laughing after our somber beginnings. You know? Yeah, you know what? I, I started this podcast uh, wanting to die, and I ended it <laughs> wanting to give life another chance. You're yes. welcome. 
Yeah, I mean, I, again, I'm sorry for starting this episode off talking about our deaths. Yeah, you're the catalyst, <laughs> buddy, yeah. buckaroo. Hey, Gus did it to me. Yeah, that's true. Gus did it to all Gus of us. Gus put me in this mood. But that's fine. You know what? Sometimes you need to get thrown in those moods a little bit. Right. There was, My own like private I said, Idaho is meant to give you an existential feeling of just sort of like a bittersweet malaise, mayonnaise, malaise. Do you guys love me in a way that no one loves Mike? Of course. Look me in the eyes and tell me you love me. <laughs> Pat, right please. now. Do it right now. All right, man. Like, <laughs> I will not be doing We're just recording a podcast about Keanu Reeves here. It's just a Reeves cast, man. I mean, okay, look, on. guys, I, I will not be able to sleep at night until Keanu Reeves comes on this podcast and looks me in the eye and says, Patrick, I love you. Well, that I don't would be, do that podcasting be, for free, Pat. Okay. That would be powerful. <laughs> I don't do it if I'm not that's, getting paid. That's what I'm chasing. <laughs> so, Keanu, please either. come on the show. Uh, you, can, you don't get the, you're, you're you don't a good get actor. if you ain't broorped. <laughs> Keanu, you're a good actor, so it, it, you can lie, and it, it, it won't matter to me, but come on the show and look me in the eye and tell me that you love me and care about me as a human being. Yeah. Wow. And you're glad that I'm would, here. Come that on the show, Keanu. So, and then we would ascend. What more is there in life after that? I don't know, yeah. man. It would be so sick if he came on. But yeah. we, if we talk about it, we sound lame. So I'm gonna. I'm, so you know what? <laughs> don't come on, dude. I don't Fuck care. You <laughs> <laughs> reverse psychology. Oh, Good. No. Hell yeah, negging. Good. Yeah, make him make sure that he like really wants to go on because he wants our attention. Should we wrap up this up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did it. We did it. We talked my own private auto. Yeah, I mean, we I all love this movie. I really like this movie. Yeah. Maybe I'll buy the Criterion edition in the Criterion sale. Because uh, it's good, and hey, maybe I just want to feel sad again. Yeah, and this this will do it. You know, this Sometimes is the, you want to dip your the, toe in that bewitching pool. I mean, I was probably nineteen the last time I saw this. Yeah, it's been uh, a while. For so me it's too. been a good long while, and that's about the time to give it a rewatch. It it was. It is good to revisit it. It's a good yeah. movie. Yeah, and hey, we'll be talking more Gus Van Sant pretty soon. <laughs> Even cowgirls get the blues. I hear they do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the movie is very weird. I've seen it. I uh, I have not again because I am not well versed in Gus Van Sant. I'm gonna try <laughs> to watch some more before we get to that one. But anyway, guys, any any final thoughts? Any last things you want to say? Hmm. No. You can follow me on Vero. <laughs> well, do Jake. Jake, we'll That's get to that after. Well, I, I thought about the movie. <laughs> Saying about mo- the movie. No, I don't have any more thoughts. I love this movie. It's great. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorites so far. Um, in that case, I just want to say uh, thank you to Brian Hose for our theme song. Thank you to Emma Logston for our artwork. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Keanu Podcast. You can email us, Podcast at gmail.com. You can talk about the episodes in our subreddit, r slash thrillums. Uh, Jake, what do you want to plug? You can follow me on Vero, but I don't. I, don't, I have no idea what I'm doing with this thing. This okay. thing is okay. You're panicking already. Follow Jake know, on man. Vero and follow tell me. Jake how to use Vero. Please help me. <laughs> but Jake, what are you on Vero? Yeah. Oh, at uh, the real JT. Good lord, man. Yeah. Figure out how to plug your shit. I mean, honestly, honestly, man. I mean, honestly, I just, Jake. What's the point? <laughs> Whoa. That's my. That's what I say, not you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand this website. Zack Snyder, come on the podcast and tell Jake what the point yeah, is. Yeah, I want an interview with this fellow. If Zack Snyder could just be on the other side of this table screaming at Jake, <laughs> I would be so happy. Yeah, let's get Zack yeah, on the podcast. Zack, come on the show. And, just uh, cords of his neck just standing <laughs> out as he just beat-faced. He just screams at Jake and Jake's trying not to cry, but his piss is running down his leg (laughs) onto the floor. Uh, And on that note, be excellent to each other. Yeah, be excellent. Please. Please.